Well, if you're like me, then you spent most of the weekend uh, in shock over the passing of Shane Warne. Uh, he was a staple of my cricketing childhood. I watched him from primary school right through to adulthood. And my favourite Warney moment uh, was watching him burst back onto the scene in the 99 World Cup and demolish South Africa and then Pakistan in the closing matches. I stayed up through the night uh, as a teenager to watch him bowl. And here's a little ad that Nike made about him after that comeback. Makes a bit sad, doesn't it? All people all week have been saying that you can divide cricket into pre-warning and post-warning. He changed the game that much. No one did spin like Shane the King. Lots of people have spun the ball, but Warney made the ball spin more than anyone thought was ever possible. He fulfilled to overflowing our expectations of how to spin the ball. And after that, spin bowling, cricket, it would never be looked at the same again. Shane Warne did spin more than anyone else ever had and probably ever will. He didn't abolish the spin bowling of the past. He just showed us how it could be done to the max. And this idea of redefining something through doing it to the max is how Jesus carries on the next bit of his Sermon on the Mount. He's not redefining spin bowling. I imagine that the wickets in dusty Jerusalem were a bit too flat for that. But Jesus didn't do spin more than anyone else, but he did do following God's law more than anyone else. See, when it comes to all the rules, to all the history, to all the prophecies in God's law, no one did them quite like Jesus. There is pre-Jesus and there is post-Jesus when it comes to God's law. Because just like spin bowling was made for warning, God's law was made for Jesus. I've been calling this series The Upside Down because Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of heaven seem to upend our expectations about who was blessed by God. So far we've seen that those whom the world pities or persecutes are the blessed ones, not the religiously do-gooders, which is what everyone in Jesus' day would have expected. But when Jesus got to verse 17, I think those religious leaders probably would have sat up in their seats and thought, all right, this sounds more like my kind of thing, because Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Fulfilling the law, keeping all the rules. This was the Pharisees' favourite pastime. In fact, they thought God's 600-odd rules didn't go far enough. And so they had actually developed a collection of rules known as the Mishnah, and in it were several thousand more rules about how to keep God's rules. Except when Jesus says the law or the prophets, that's not him saying just the rule bits of God's word. No, it's a phrase that sums up the entire Old Testament. So when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's referring to those Ten Commandments and the 600 other commandments, but also all the promises about a long-awaited king, one who would rescue God's people and bring in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus' point is that he hasn't come to abolish, to destroy, to tear down those laws, but he also hasn't come to bring more rules. There's a very clever pun in that verse that only Bible nerds like me find interesting, but I'll share it with you anyway, because like most nerds, I lack an awareness about how disinterested you might be in something that fascinates me. So here goes. When Jesus says, don't think, in verse 17, the word for think there in the Greek has the same root or is very similar to the Greek word for law. So Jesus is using a pun. He's saying, don't you law me about laws. 
He is not here to bring more laws or more rules because God's law is about to be fulfilled or accomplished, as he says in verse 18. He even gets down to the annoyingly pedantic in verse 18, saying that not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Accomplished. We often use that word after the word mission, don't we? Mission accomplished. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us here. There's a mission that runs through all of those ancient stories, those songs, those rules, those prophecies. A mission that threads them together. A mission of good confronting evil, of justice harmonising with mercy, of life being snatched from death all in the name of love. This is the mission that Jesus says is now being accomplished before their very eyes. Many had tried before. The law and the prophets are full of people trying to fulfil it, to accomplish it, but none of them could break through. There are no Shane Warns of the Old Testament, just a bunch of wannabes whose stats don't even come close. Because God's law is exhaustive, its standard is out of reach. The standard is righteousness, complete goodness and perfection, a standard that none of us can ever measure up to. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes in his, one of his letters that the only thing the law is guaranteed to give you is a knowledge of your own sinfulness, a knowledge of your own inability to do the law. And so God's people had abandoned it. They didn't love his way of life that reflected the holy and merciful character of their God. They still go through the motions as part of their culture, but they are not at their core lovers of God and his law. And that's because, as Jesus says in verse 19, they simply didn't do or teach what God said. To put it in cricketing terms, they didn't love the game and their figures were pretty average. God's mission was not going to be accomplished by going or fulfilled to overflowing by a bunch of part-time hacks taking lazy singles and bowling pies down legside. Now, they have to love God. Had to love his law and do his law in order to be called great in the kingdom of heaven, in order to make it into that hall of fame. Jesus says in verse 20 that their righteousness, that is their doing of the law, it must surpass the Pharisees, be greater than those religious leaders, greater than the 600 rules in the Old Testament, greater in effort than those several thousand extra laws of the Pharisees. Jesus says you need to do the law like it's never been done before if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven. And that's why this passage is not good news. It's devastating news. Because no one listening to Jesus on that day could ever hope to live like that, and no one ever has since. This is only good news if someone can do it for us. Someone whose figures on God's rules scorecard are flawless. Someone who can stare down sin and death as it takes guard at the other end and then bowls the perfect delivery that goes down low at death's feet but then jags sharply up, bowls death round his legs, knocks the stumps over, the match bursting to life's victory at the end of the third day's play. That's what Jesus did for us. Warnie may have bowled the ball of the century, but Jesus perfected life in eternity by doing God's law in unsurpassed righteousness. Warnie may have fulfilled our expectations of bowling by spinning the ball to the max, but Jesus filled full to overflowing the righteousness of God to give us life to the max. And so now if we are on his team, we share in his victory over sin and death. 
Shane Warne wore the hopes of the nation on his wrist as he spun the ball, and Jesus wears the hope of humanity in the scars on his wrists and feet because his perfect life lives on now and overflows to us by faith so that we can live out the mission that he has accomplished for us in the kingdom of heaven. And what that looks like practically is where we're going to head over the next few weeks. But for now, I want you to think about the Christians that you know. Would you consider them to be rule keepers or rule breakers? Could they even be both? That's going to be our track work question tomorrow at lunchtime. I want you to come and cast your vote. Are Christians rule keepers or rule breakers? And grab a free Zuper Duper in the process and have a chat.